Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. You're listening to episode 25. Is it vaginal discharge or cervical mucus? And how do I tell if I'm in high fertility? I'm your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Today's episode is brought to you by Fertile Minds free 29-day meditation challenge that starts April 29th. If you're looking for my secrets to slash stress and to improve your fertility as a result, this is the course for you. Each day, you'll gain access to another 15-minute meditation. You'll get a reminder email each morning from me to help keep you on track. You'll learn how to go deep within and connect your mind, heart, and body into an alignment that's more apt to conceive. You'll learn how to make heart-centered decisions when it comes to your fertility, giving you an experience that is authentic to your needs and desires. You'll also learn how to connect with your partner in a mindful way to create life consciously. Each week, I'll be coming to you live to answer any questions, feelings, or struggles that come up around that week's meditations. You'll have direct access to me to ask anything you'd like. You'll have a place to leave comments and connect with other like-minded women going through the same challenges you are in a private setting. Finally, there is a meditation challenge centered around fertility, and your partner is welcome too. Without further ado, on to the show. So today's episode is kind of strange to be talking about. I once read that the most hated words in the English language were moist, phlegm, and mucus. And today we're going to use two out of the three. So fasten your earbuds and let's do this for the sake of your vagina and your fertility. Because what I'm going to talk about today is rarely talked about, but oh so important when it comes to your fertility, vaginal health, and pleasure. Today's episode may be something you are super familiar with if you've been trying to conceive for a while, or it might be a mystery like it was for me. Let me just say that I had no idea what cervical mucus, or CVM as I'll be referring to it today, was until I started to study fertility. I had a degree in anatomy and physiology from the University of Florida and countless health classes, yet no one thought that they should explain to me what that discharge was and just how important it was for fertility. I had no idea that I could have hostile cervical mucus or that the sticky, stretchy egg white thing that I saw every once in a while was a predictor for ovulation. That could have saved me a lot of freakouts and wondering if I had a yeast infection when I was younger. I know that I'm not alone because I checked to see how many people search for vaginal discharge on Google. Over 60,000 women a month search that term. That means there are a whole lot of questions about what exactly is going on and coming out of their awesome vaginas. And I observe in my clinical practice that all too often I have to explain to a woman the five days or six days of the cycle that she's actually fertile and how to tell through the cervical mucus. So let's dive in. What exactly is the difference between CVM and vaginal discharge anyways? Well, CVM is actually a type of vaginal discharge that signals that high fertility is approaching. It's like the shot across the bow that says, hey lady, we could actually get pregnant. Our fertile window is opening. There are four types of vaginal discharge that you can notice, and they will coincide with the subjective observation of dryness or wetness around the vulva. 
This is what can help a woman that is trying to conceive understand if they are having plentiful mucus as it can often be difficult to discern when you are actively trying to conceive due to sperm deposits. Your level of wetness can be that other sign that lets you know, especially if you don't have a moment to be checking and trying to find your cervix, which moves as well. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Most women will observe the discharge collected on the underwear or while wiping in the bathroom to better understand when they should have relations. Oftentimes that first urination or bowel movement in the morning is a good time to check because everything's sort of settled overnight. All the cervical mucus is in response to the amount of estrogen being produced by the woman's body. That is why it hopefully begins to increase about six days prior to ovulation as the estrogen is rising and peaking. This is also why you might see discharge about 48 hours before your period starts as estrogen and progesterone both peak, making us feel a little crazy. So if you've ever been confused by that discharge one or two days before your period, now you know what it is. When a woman tells me that they have discharge all month long and can't tell if it's fertile or not, it alerts me to a few things and makes me start to ask questions in regards to the pH balance of the vaginal area and that that could be causing too much discharge. They also could be estrogen dominant, meaning that not enough progesterone or high estrogen on a blood saliva test will show, and that can be the cause for the excess cervical mucus all month long. If they've never had any blood work pulled, I'll usually suggest that they have a day three panel and a blood draw for progesterone five days past suspected ovulation, which is usually somewhere around day 18 to 21. If you missed episode 18 on lab tests in plain English, or you need to pull your own blood work, you may do so by visiting ladypotions.com backslash episode 18. This episode is chocked full of information about what lab tests to get and when and how to even pull them if you're in the United States. I'll also ask if they ever see changes in the consistency. Do they have itching, changes in odor, or color with it? Itching usually points to a yeast overgrowth though it can sometimes point to bacterial vaginosis or BV, an overgrowth in bacteria in the vagina, or trichinomus, which is a sexually transmitted infection caused by a parasite. Usually the odor with BV is fishy or strong, while trich has a musty or unpleasant odor, and yeast typically has no odor or can actually smell like fresh baked bread or yeast if your nose is super on point. The consistency of the discharge with BV is thin, milky white, or gray. And the consistency of the yeast is thick, white, or sometimes chunky like cottage cheese. And finally, the discharge of trick is frothy, yellowish, or green. Ugh, I know what you're saying. This was a lot, but I got to get it out there because over 21 million women in the U.S. will experience BV annually. And it can happen to anyone, even if you've never had sex. This is one of those rare occurrences when I say, let's use antibiotics. And the reason for that is that 60% of women who have had it will see it return within 12 months, which is a real bummer, even if you're not trying to conceive. But especially if you're trying to conceive, this can just feel like your body's failing you. I absolutely suggest a high-grade probiotic with at least 50 billion cultures, including the strain of lactobacillus, to prevent the reoccurrence of yeast or BV. In fact, this is the first thing I prescribe if CVM is reported to be out of balance in either excess or deficiency. It has an auto-regulating effect on the flora of the cervical area. It's a clue to me that this delicate microbiome of the vagina is off in some way, even if they don't have symptoms of or pathology like BV if the cervical mucus is scant or in excess. 
I point these things out because no matter how much fertile cervical mucus you are producing, if you have one of the above three things happening, you will most likely not get and stay pregnant as it will be somewhat of a hostile environment for the developing embryo. The pH and the quality of the cervical mucus need to be just right in order for that sperm to survive their long journey to the egg. And even though these types of things are highly, highly embarrassing, trust me, I don't even like talking about this on a podcast. Women oftentimes will try and self-treat and then they end up with these reoccurring infections. And the quicker that you get diagnosed with what is actually happening, the closer you are to a solution and fertility returning. Ways around hostile cervical mucus is to keep the environment alkaline. You can do that through diet and proper supplementation, which we'll talk about towards the end, because CVM should be alkaline. And what I mean by that is in terms of acidic or basic, it should be more basic. So taking the steps to ensure that your diet is more alkaline through increasing vegetables and fruits and cutting back on meat, dairy, and processed foods and eliminating sugar and alcohol can make a huge difference. Staying hydrated is also essential to this piece. Now, there are a couple other ways around hostile cervical mucus if you find yourself in this boat. And one is steroids. They may help to stop sperm antibodies temporarily, but they can also cause huge side effects like adrenal fatigue, especially when used more than once. They should only be used in extreme circumstances. While you might feel amazing on the steroids, you're sure to feel exhausted after you come off of them. I also see them kind of have a drying effect in some of my thinner patients or my what I call yin deficient patients. So if this is the cause for hostile cervical mucus or deficient cervical mucus and you give steroids, you actually run the risk of making that worse. Now, the other way around that is either IUI or IVF, so in vitro fertilization. These bypass the need for proper cervical mucus. I don't always think that's a great thing. However, if you have hostile cervical mucus that's been tested and you just can't seem to get around it or you have none, IVF might be a way around that. Now, most of the literature points that to IUI can be a way around that, but I kind of disagree. I think that the environment still has to be healthy because the IUI takes so long to take place, including fertilization and then implantation. Okay. So back to CVM, what is fertile cervical mucus like? There are four types of the mucus, and this is what you're going to see change over those six days that I referenced earlier. The G mucus is the discharge that is produced during infertile times. It's thick and pasty, and it's impenetrable by sperm. So when you see this, you pretty much know it looks like glue when you were a kid. Uh, It's that thicker white discharge. This is a type of cervical mucus that sperm can actually not swim through. It's like natural birth control. Then as estrogen rises a bit, L mucus is produced, which is a little bit more watery and causes the vulva to change from dry to wet. And while it's a little more friendly to the sperm than the G mucus, its function is to actually catch and filter out some of the abnormal or poor quality sperm before they even reach the uterus. It's like an undercover security guard thinning the herd for the healthiest sperm. Now, if you've looked at numbers on sperm analysis, you know that quite a bit of it has three tails and swims sideways, so there's a lot to weed out. As ovulation approaches, S-type mucus begins to be produced from glands in the vagina and its consistency is stretchy and slippery and what is sometimes referred to as the egg-white-like mucus. The sensation of the vulva is distinctly wet, there's no question about it. And under the microscope, you can actually see the S 
type mucus is actually a bunch of vertical strands with this unusual quality of sticking to itself. It usually acts like a super transport for sperm, helping it to glide faster towards its destination. So if you've ever seen this egg white discharge and wondered, oh my gosh, what is this? You notice that it's really hard to separate. It's like all or nothing, right? And that's just kind of the way that it works with the sperm. It's like this slingshot that gets it up into the cervix. And then finally, as ovulation is imminent, the mucus loses its stretch as the cervix produces pea mucus from the very top of the cervical canal. It got its name due to its high concentration of potassium. It also seems to have some quality to it, which gives the sperm a final boost or activation as they climb through the cervix to the uterus. I kind of think of it like Gatorade for an athlete at the end of a long distance race. It's all those minerals that it needs to just make everything in their body work correctly and cross that finish line. The last day that the pea mucus is produced is the most fertile day of the whole cycle, which is the day before the egg is released. This goes back to all those studies I mentioned in episode 23 on BBTs or basal body temperatures that point to the two days before ovulation being your most fertile time. Its texture is extremely lubricative and wet. And if you've ever had relations on this day, you may have had your partner comment on your status or strut about thinking that they made all that wetness happen. Now you can say with confidence, thanks, I'm just really fertile today. What I think is so cool about all of this, even though nobody likes the word mucus, is that it shows just how intelligent mother nature is. She knows it's all about timing and that she has to help those tired sperm on their four to five day trek get to their egg because she only has 12 to 24 hours of viability when it comes to how long the egg is going to live. When you look at it this way, you start to really understand the importance that maybe it's not so cliche when somebody quips, it will happen when the timing is right. Mother nature is all about timing. Now, I want to cover a section that a lot of women don't think about, which is medications that can impair fertile mucus. Now, birth control is a big one. Some doctors and even some pill manufacturers have published warnings about impaired fertility even after stopping the pill for up to two and a half years after. In some women, it appears that the cervix only makes G-type mucus, making the cervix impenetrable by sperm after they've been on birth control. So this is one of the reasons why it can take a while for your cycle to regulate after coming off of birth control, or it regulates and you're getting your period every 28 days, but something's just not right. You don't have that rise and fall around ovulation in the center of your cycle, and you certainly aren't noticing the proper cervical mucus. Now, another thing that another medication that can impair cervical mucus is antibiotics. They can provoke an overgrowth of candida or thrush. And if it's severe enough, this will mask any evidence of the fertile mucus. And it must be treated with antifungal prescriptions or antifungal herbs to restore cervical mucus. Now, you did hear me say in the beginning of the episode that if you had bacterial vaginosis, I thought that you would need antibiotics. And this is my take on that. There's a time and a place for it. And if you have an active bacterial infection, especially one that we already know is more likely to come back, you probably should treat it with antibiotics the first time and then do everything that you can naturally to ensure that the cervical mucus is not then affected by the antibiotics as well because it's certainly being affected by the bacteria first. So it's kind of one of those risk or reward things. And certainly if you need antibiotics for something else, I'm not saying don't take them, 
But I want you to understand that it could set you back in terms of time when trying to conceive because it can take some time to get the vaginal flora back to where it needs to be for proper cervical mucus. And one of my other episodes, I think it was maybe 19, I'm not sure, it was colds and flu and it was how to know when you really need antibiotics. And that's something that I see happen all the time in my practice is that Someone will come down with a cold and it'll last more than two days and they'll be prescribed antibiotics by their primary care. And when there's really a lot of things that you can do to check and make sure that is it bacterial, is it viral, do I really need antibiotics? And there's also a whole host of other herbal things that you can do to keep that cold or flu in check and keep it from turning into a secondary bacterial infection that then needs antibiotics. So really important to try and stay healthy. But then if you do fall ill when you're trying to conceive, to try and avoid antibiotics if possible. Now, this other one is huge. I see it all the time. In fact, I have a lot of women that are athletes and will run marathons and uh, triathlons, and they self-medicate with a lot of NSAIDs, meaning they give themselves a lot of aspirin, ibuprofen, Advil, Motrin, Naproxen, any of these things as an analgesic or a pain reliever because they are creating a lot of inflammation in their body by endurance running, which is just hard on your body, especially after you get to a certain age or a certain weight. The problem is, is that NSAIDs actually lower prostaglandins. This can influence the menstrual cycle and cause the CVM to become scanty. So if I see that somebody takes them on occasion, I ask, well, what is on occasion for you and how often is that? And then immediately I start asking about cervical mucus. And if they look at me like they're blank and they've never seen it before, I can almost zero in on that that's the first place that we have to start. Another issue is antidepressants, SSRIs or serotonin reuptake inhibitors. They can change cervical mucus patterns, uh, usually reducing the number of days of production of fertile mucus. Antihistamines, they dry fertile mucus since they dry out most of the mucus membranes in the body. That's how they work. That's how they keep you from having watery eyes and sneezing, itching symptoms is they dry out all the membranes, including that of the cervical area. So long-term use of antihistamines in men or women, believe it or not, because in men it can affect the sperm too with long-term use. That's something that I'll try and transition them into herbal therapies that aren't quite as drying, or I'll use acupuncture and herbs to try and address the underlying issue of the overproductive immune system. That also alerts me too if they've had long-term allergies or autoimmune disease to check the quality of the cervical mucus and see if it is in fact hostile to sperm. Because if the immune system is overacting in one place, it can certainly be overacting in another. And the last one is Clomid, which is a fertility drug that stimulates the pituitary gland. And this is something that if you were to do an IUI in most doctor's offices in the US, they would give you Clomid to stimulate ovulation, but it can have an anti-estrogen effect inhibiting the function of the mucus producing glands in the entire body. So a lot of times you'll hear women talk about the side effects of just feeling so, so hot, like they may not sweat, but they feel like they're on fire, but it's like a dry fire or that Clomid can thin the lining of the uterus, meaning that you bleed differently after you've been on Clomid. And this is part of the side effect of that inhibiting function of the mucus producing glands. So that's why I say, you know, IUI should be a kind of last ditch effort. 
if you think that you're in probability going to do IVF instead of an IUI, then I say limit it the number because you want to just go on to the IVF and what's working. Now, if you're thinking that you want to do IUIs and if it doesn't work, return to natural, you need to understand that it might take three to six months to then get your body back in a place where everything is functioning properly for optimum fertility. Okay, so what's a girl to do if you have experienced deficient cervical mucus or you know that you've been taking one of these medications for a long time that I've mentioned and then it's possibly interfering because you never see the cervical mucus that's fertile? Here are some steps and supplements and herbs that you can take to help restore cervical mucus. Okay, first of all, so important, water. If you're not hydrated, your mucous membranes of your body are not going to work correctly. This is especially important in drier climates or drier times of the year like fall and winter. Now here in Florida, we kind of see this happen a lot in spring actually because we don't have a ton of rain and it's one of the only times where it's not super hot here. And so people are perpetually dehydrated because they forget to drink water because it's just so nice out. So tracking your water can be very helpful. Adequate exercise that is not dehydrating can be super helpful, especially yoga with all of those pelvic twists that are happening. And yoga that is not really dehydrating. So we don't necessarily want you in a hot yoga class sweating out all your fluids if you're already having deficient cervical mucus. Shatavari root, you may have remember me talking about this in one of the adaptogen episodes for fertility herbs for men and women. It's a demulcent, meaning that it contains mucilage, which helps to line all the mucous membranes of the body. And this was actually a really cool herb. Its nickname is dubbed um, she who has a thousand husbands. So you can kind of understand what that does to your fertility and your cervical mucus. The other herb that I like is Dongguai. Um, it's a traditional blood tonic and invigorator in Chinese medicine, and it's in a majority of our fertility formulas. It increases blood flow and it stimulates estrogen receptors in the body. Another one that stimulates estrogen receptors in the body and increases cervical mucus and actually is known to help with vaginal dryness if you're that extreme is red clover blossoms. Now, because the two affect estrogen receptors in the body, if you had a severe history of familial estrogen-fed cancers or you yourself had had one, these are two that you would not want to use. You would want to stay away from them. Another supplement that's super helpful is omega-3 supplement like fish or fish oil or fermented krill oil. Essential fatty acids help to regulate hormones, increase blood flow, especially to the reproductive organs, and they reduce sensitivity to the hormone prolactin, which can suppress ovulation. So we don't want your body picking up on too much prolactin. And prolactin is actually produced when you have too much stress in the body. So if you know you have a lot of inflammatory symptoms and and you are maybe one of those women that was using incense to mask the pain and you have a lot of stress in your life, omega-3s are something that you would want to reach for. Now, if you're vegetarian and you absolutely don't want to do fish, then you can use primrose oil instead. L-arginine is a fantastic supplement as well. It is a essential amino acid that helps produce nitric oxide in the body, which is something that 
dilates the blood vessels. And this is actually helpful for impotence in men. Nitric oxide is the process of how the penis actually dilates. That's how all of your erectile dysfunction medicines work is through the process of nitric oxide. So L-arginine can actually increase blood flow into the genitals and help to dilate those blood vessels and make sure everything works correctly. Now, you would not want to use this if you had the herpes virus in your body, either one or two, because L-arginine actually increases viral replication. So once you have those viruses, you have them forever, and hopefully your body is doing a great job at keeping them suppressed and not coming out to the surface. But especially if you have HSV2, which expresses itself in the genital areas, you don't want to use L-arginine because that can make an outbreak imminent. And if you have an outbreak, then you can't have relations and you can't try, so on and so forth. Probiotics that I mentioned earlier, you want to make sure that it has lactobacillus strain in it and over 50 billion cultures per pill. A lot of times you can find them that say specific to the vaginal and uterine tract or vaginal area and bladder. And this is really helpful if you've had any history of infections from UTIs, urinary tract infections to viruses like HSV or HPV. That probiotic can help the flora stay in check. And then also licorice root. Licorice root is another adaptogen that helps to encourage normal hormonal balance. It also reduces your reaction to stress, meaning that it just stays as a mental reaction instead of having a physiological effect in your body and wreaking havoc on your endocrine system. So this is a a great one to take, and it's often found in many formulas as it stabilizes other herbs. Now, the only reason that you wouldn't want to take this herb is, is if you have a tendency towards high blood pressure, as it could potentially increase blood pressure. Now, on the other side, if you're one of those women who's super blood deficient, meaning every time you get your period around that time, or even throughout the month, if it's really severe, when you go from sitting to standing, you get that postural dizziness where you see stars if you stand up too quickly. That is your vagus nerve having trouble regulating your blood pressure response, and licorice can actually help that. In all probability, you have low blood pressure, and the licorice root is actually going to just balance that out. It's not going to take it too high, but it's going to have an auto-regulating effect as it should. And then lastly, one of the amazing things that you can do just even once makes a big difference is vaginal steams. And you may have listened to that episode I did with Jen Pohl, episode 13, about the Maya tradition of Mayan fertility abdominal massage and vaginal steams. And vaginal steams, if you don't have enough uh, cervical mucus or if you have too much, an educated practitioner can put exactly the right herbs in there to help balance out that area. So if you didn't listen, go back to ladypotions.com backslash episode 13 and have a listen on that one. Now, there's one last thing that I wanted to touch base on that could potentially help you know when your peak fertility is approaching, and that's the shape and position of your cervix. It changes with your cycle. The ligaments that support the uterus respond to the peak of estrogen that happened just before ovulation by tightening and actually pulling her further up into the body, usually making sex more enjoyable. The texture is a little softer too. And so as it moves higher, if you were trying to actually check your own cervical mucus by using clean fingers and going inside. If it's really that high, if it's around ovulation, you might actually have to squat to be able to feel your cervix. Now, after ovulation, the position of the cervix is once again low in the vagina and can easily be palpated. Now, I had a friend not too long ago that called me and said, oh my God, I feel like my vagina is falling out of me 
what do I do? And she was totally freaked. She'd had a baby the year before. So she was super worried about prolapse. And I said to her, well, where are you in your cycle? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, are you about to get your period? And she said, yes, probably in about 10 days. And I said, well, your cervix probably dropped. It's probably post-ovulation. You just ovulated and it's really low and it was probably super uncomfortable during sex and it got all inflamed. And I said, if it doesn't go back up in the next three or four days, four days to help like a higher position, then you call me back. Sure enough, it went back up into a more comfortable position. It was just that ovulation had just occurred and it dropped down. So I know that was a ton of information coming at you really quickly. As always, all of these notes are in the show notes and ladypotions.com backslash episode 25 for this one. But I hope that this episode helps to shed some light on what is happening in your body and when it should be happening. Cervical mucus insufficiency and hostility are often one of the last things tested in women experiencing infertility. However, it is a really common problem in couples, especially in the unknown cases. And I I hate that this just kind of gets glossed over. And I think potentially in Western medicine that the reason for this might be because IUI and IVF Uh, have become such common practices that U.S. doctors don't think to address it because they have a way around it. But if you're like me and you want your body functioning properly all the time, no matter what kind of intervention that you need to take to get pregnant, I hope that this episode empowers you to take matters quite literally into your own hands and check your cervical mucus. And if you think it's an issue, have your doctor check it under a microscope. All right, that's it for now. So cheers to keeping your vagina awesome and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio hosted at www.ladyportions.com where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening.